me? Is everyone good? Good. Good. Thank you for welcoming me. My name is Benjamin Ben Gandhi. I am in my second of four years at Calvin uh, Seminary, Calvin Theological Seminary. I am not originally from West Michigan, but my dear wife, Lindsay, is. She's sitting uh, right here being all shy. Um, We both attended, just a little bit about me, we both attended Calvin College, where I got my degree in English, and she got two degrees. Um, She's so smart. She got her degrees in history and nursing, and she now works as a nurse in Helen DeVos, the Helen DeVos Children's Hospital in the neonatal unit, where she takes care of the really really tiny babies, and she's so, she's so brave uh, doing that. I'm so thankful for her. She takes care of the babies and, and, and me, too. God has blessed me with many things, and Lindsay is definitely um, one of the most beautiful. We do not have any kids, but we have two uh, hairy dogs, Rocket and Winston, um, and they are whole heaps of trouble. They are blessings, too. One of the richest blessings. I mean, that's enough, that's enough about me. I'd love to sit and, and eat cookies with you. We have those afterwards and coffee. And I'd love to meet all of you. I've already met Doris and some others. Thank you for wel- welcoming me so warmly. But one of the richest blessings we have is God's word. And I'd like to turn there now with, with you if, if, if we have. And there are some Bibles also over there. But if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we're, we're going to be reading starting at verse 31. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31. Luke chapter 4. Then he, that's Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and and power he gives orders to impure spirits, and they, they come out. And news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray and ask God to, to bless this time together. Father God, we come before you, a people um, reading your word and needing your spirit to open our hearts and our minds to hear it and understand it and know your will for our lives. Speak to us now, Lord, through this passage, through, through your word, that it may not just fall on deaf ears and hard hearts, but may our hearts be opened to, to you and your son, Jesus. For we know, Lord, that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bless this time. Bless, bless us, Lord. And may we, may we honor you in, in our reading and understanding of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. What if Charles Dodgson 
came to your house for dinner? Who, you ask? And that's the point. Charles Dodson, he's a guy from Traverse City, and he sells contracts at an at a enterprise rent-a-car company. He sells contracts to people who rent cars a lot. If he came over to your dinner, I bet you'd make maybe a meatloaf or um, you'd probably go and get Oreos from Meyer, set those out. Maybe you would uh, vacuum a little bit and tidy up because, after all, it's just Charles Dodson, a guy from Traverse City. But what if a president came to dinner? It doesn't matter which president, and I don't much care if you vote for them or not or if you voted for a particular one. What if a president came to dinner? We'd probably put out the best china. We'd, make, we'd definitely make better than a meatloaf. We'd make ribs or, or turkey or something, and we'd make a, a, our, our, our famous dessert because we'd do that because we'd recognize the authority and power that the, the, that the president has. We would show utmost respect for the office of president of the United States of America. And if he came to dinner, it would be something incredible. It would be a hallmark occasion, a real extraordinary event. And yet, when Jesus came, the king of creation came to this earth, people did not recognize who he was. Even Nazarenes, People from his hometown, uh, instead of welcoming him, they they tried to push him off a cliff. Powerful people, kings, rode around on horses. They didn't walk into towns on donkeys. Now our passage today, and if you if you can, please keep it open. Our passage today comes from the book of Luke, which is uh, Luke is is basically a biography. It's 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 a book and the second part of the Bible that we call the New Testament. And it's a biography of, of Jesus' life. The guy who wrote the book of Luke was very concerned with recording facts about Jesus, right? And he forms a testimony of who Jesus is and why he's come and why he's particularly the right person to do whatever he's come to do. Now, a main theme in our passage this evening, we'll just spend a little time looking at, is authority. My hope is that by looking at this passage, looking at Luke chapter 4, we can recognize that Jesus of Nazareth wasn't any ordinary Charles Dodgson or whoever. I hope that we will recognize the great authority that he had while he was on earth, that he showed while he was on earth. But also, what's amazing is that his authority extends into our lives. Yes, beloved. The authority of Jesus, what Jesus said and did, has implications and applications for us in 21st century West Michigan. I want to look at this passage in kind of two chunks. First, we're going to look at the authority of Jesus and what he says, the authority of Jesus and his words. And the second part is the authority of Jesus in his actions. The authority of Jesus in his words, and then the authority of Jesus in his actions. So first, let's look at Jesus' authority in his words. And I'll just paint a little background. Maybe there's, there's people here who are not quite familiar with the book of Luke. Uh, the book starts off setting a scene. And, and Jesus, though his great, 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 great 28 grandfathers ago was King David, a very uh, powerful, wonderful king of the nation of Israel. He, he actually has very humble beginnings. He's born in a barn. He's born next to cattle and sheep and donkey, donkeys. And then in, and then in, um, in chapter 3, Luke turns the action away from Jesus and, and, and 
talks about a man named John the Baptist. And John says there's this very special man coming. He's coming and he's going to be a king and reign, a king, reign in a kingdom. But, but people are still wondering, is this Jesus? John baptizes Jesus and then announces him to the world. And immediately after that, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's then tempted by the devil, the, the devil, and then, and then he doesn't succumb to that temptation, but comes back, uh, comes back to his hometown of Nazareth where he, he says some things and he quickly becomes unpopular. So the people kick him out of his hometown. He gets out and that's right where we find him. That's where our story picks up. So look at verse 31 with me. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the, on the, Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now, uh, you ha- we have to understand something about first century Palestine. See, in, in first century Palestine, uh, it, it would be set up maybe a little bit like this room except for the electronics and things. But they would, the, the person who was teaching, would, he, would, he would be sitting kind of right in the middle, and then all of a sudden he would stand up. And they didn't have Bibles. So a young man or someone would go to the back and he'd pull a scroll and then he'd bring the scroll up and hand it to the man who was going to teach and he'd unroll the scroll and he'd read from the scroll and maybe the scroll was from uh, Isaiah or Psalms or, or Proverbs or Genesis or Hezekiah or something like that. And then, good, I'm glad someone caught. Then, then he would hand that scroll back to the person and they would walk it back and that person would begin to teach this, this, this person, this rabbi. And historians and archaeologists, they tell us that when rabbis commented on the words on the scroll, they would actually, they'd just talk about what the person before them had talked about. And they would quote the person before that. And they would quote the person before that and before that and before that. Never, never, um, they would heavily quote wisdom of others. But what does Luke say? This time when Jesus taught his teaching was unlike any of the others. Luke tells us at the end of verse 32 that his word possessed authority. And at the beginning of verse 32, what's their reaction? Luke says they were amazed at his teaching. Now, amazed is not quite the word that, that uh, is the best way to translate that word. When I think of amazed, I think of a really, really cool uh, magic trick or I loved, I loved to fly fish. I loved to fly fish. And I'm always amazed when I catch a wild uh, brown trout in the Pier Marquette or the, or, or the Asable. Amazed is not quite... When, in, in the, orig, the original word in Greek isn't amazed. It actually has this connotation of being overwhelmed, being stunned, being shocked. So the people, when they, they're overwhelmed and stocked, shocked at Jesus' teaching. But why? Well, they're, they're, they're stunned and shocked because they'd become so used to rabbis teaching um, and the human authority they claimed. Them quoting the people before them and before them. They were so used to human wisdom that they had actually forgotten what it was like when someone who was truly wise spoke to them. You know what, it's, I, you know what that's kind of like, the difference? Have you ever seen the movie The Lion King? The movie The Lion King. In The Lion King, there's this part where Simba, he's a baby lion, right? The baby lion has to roar in order to call his father to come and help him. 
And Simba tries and tries, but it just comes out a croak. Kind of like a meow, like a little meow. But then, all of a sudden, Simba finds his voice and he roars. And that's kind of what it's like. The rabbis before had been croaking and croaking and meowing with no power. And then Jesus speaks with authority and he roars. It was Jesus' teaching that had authority. His word was the realest and truest thing they'd ever heard. His word, Jesus' word, had authority because he is the author of every word they'd ever read on any scroll. John Calvin, uh, the Calvin, same guy, Calvin, puts it this way. The preaching of Christ was eminently distinguished by the divine authority of the Spirit. In other words, The Holy Spirit empowered all Jesus said, giving it authority. The hearts of those who heard Jesus speak and and, and stirred within them because it possessed the authority of God. It was like that lion roaring. And in this little detail, Luke, that gospel writer, is pulling back the curtain just a little bit to reveal the authority of Jesus. That he's not just any ordinary Charles Dodson but he's far more powerful and far more beautiful and far more wonderful. But I wonder what we do with Jesus' words. What do we make of the words we have in this book? Are they just another message that comes in and out of our ears? Beloved, there are so many messages the world, the world shouts at us today, many things that people are saying to us. I mean, one of the messages, a predominant message now is that you measure your life and how busy you are. We wake up early, right? We wake up early and we get to work early and we work so hard just to achieve success. That's one message, achieve success. Another message for maybe youth and students is, you know, you've got to be academically strong and, and musically inclined and sporty and all these things so you can at least, you know, you can go to a good college or at least you can be marketable to a future employer. Another message we see often is this message of, of hedonism. The life you live is yours. So live as you please. Culture says pleasure. That's all that matters. Pursue hobbies and pastimes and entertainment. Indulge yourself. Don't hold back. Chocolate. Another, an ever-growing message is this, is this post-Christian message. Maybe we are beginning to see this. One can live one's whole life without ever thinking about religion. You don't need to think about life or spiritual things. You don't need to think about your purpose or your future. Whatever you see before you is all that you get. But Jesus says something radically different, doesn't he? He tells us there's more. He says there's more than this single reality that we see in front of us. Jesus, I mean, he was constantly referring to a kingdom that people couldn't, see before him he he it's a spiritual kingdom and he and he talks to this he goes and he talks to this lady about water um, while she's filling up a water jug but he says i have water that will never run out but you'll never be thirsty again see jesus he's talking about a never-ending full of life spiritual kingdom you see jesus message is just so very different from all the other messages It wasn't another message. It was the message. And the message shows us 
displays his authority, his authority to change hearts, his authority to forgive sins, his authority to give us eternal life. Beloved, we can listen to everything this world has to offer, but until we hear King Jesus, nothing will overwhelm you and I. Nothing will astound us until the message of the gospel falls on Ben Gandy's hard heart and pierces my ears. I am lost. I am deceived by the world's messages. So, Ivan Rest, CRC, evening service, brothers and sisters, what is this to you? Is it one of the many messages? Is it just one of the things that you apply to your life? Or is this the thing that you apply to your life? What priority does this have in your life? The writer of Hebrews says God's word is, is living and active. But is it that to you? Really? Is it that to you? A simple test. Here's a simple test. A pastor friend of mine once gave me. He said, over what area of your life does the Bible's teaching not apply? What would you say, oh, that, 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 you know, Jesus says a bunch of things, but just he doesn't really talk about that. Um, I'll give an example. My sister, younger sister, always told me what to do. And she would say, Ben, you are driving far too fast. I said, Missy, no, I'm not. And she said, well, the Bible says something about that. I said, the Bible says something about that. And she says, yeah. Paul writes about how he, God has even put human authorities above us to watch over us and make rules. And we should submit to them as if we're submitting to the Lord. And she said, you're speeding and you're breaking those laws, which God has put people in place to put those laws. And I said, younger sisters. But she was right. Even over areas of speeding and driving. So what aspect, what do we accept the authority Jesus' words have on us, or, or don't we? And, and maybe, I just hope maybe, there's someone here who's not sure about Jesus' teaching yet. What word or message is your life based on? Is your life all about pleasure, or work, or success, or the next thing? Does that message really captivate you? Does it astound you? In your heart of hearts, does that message give you comfort? Or, or is there still some restlessness? Jesus of Nazareth said with authority, I have come that you may have life and you may have life to the fullest. What a word. Must move on. Luke doesn't just leave us at Jesus' teaching, though. He, he also reveals something of Jesus' authority and what he does. So we looked at the words that Jesus says, the authority of Jesus in his words. Now we'll look at the authority, authority of Jesus in his actions. Look with me at verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you, what, what, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to one another, What words these are with authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits. And they, they come out. 
You know, see, so this demon-possessed man has heard Jesus, and maybe, maybe he was in the back of the, of, the, of the synagogue. And all of a sudden, he hears Jesus, and it draws him in. He begins to, to lurch forward, I can imagine, past the stone pews with the merchants and, and the tax collectors, the fishermen, and the saints and the sinners, and people just like you and me. And he gets to the front, and then he, he, there's this confrontation. You know, he points his finger at Jesus and says, What do you want? What have you to do with me? I know who you are. You're the, you're the Jesus of Nazareth. You're the Holy One of God. And you see, this demon-possessed man had a problem. He had a real problem. But it was a spiritual problem. My friend Brian Perry said, it was a spiritual problem that had repercussions in the physical realm. A spiritual problem that had repercussions in the physical realm. And Jesus looks at that man and immediately says, be quiet and come out of him. And Jesus, by that divine authority, cast the demon out. And Luke, that, that gospel writer, makes sure that we see that even though the man is thrown down, he's unharmed. What happens next? The people are then, in verse 36, they're more amazed and more overwhelmed and, because their expectations of Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, and what he can actually do just don't line up. They just, they just, they just don't make sense. Guys from a few, I can't stress how odd this would have been. Guys from a few towns over just didn't do these kinds of things. But Jesus did do these things, which points us to a completely different reality. You see, this demon-possessed man had a spiritual problem, and yet Jesus acts on his behalf. And at risk of offending you, I have to say that you too we too have a desperate spiritual problem. Even if you aren't a spiritual person here tonight, you've just kind of wandered in. You, we have a desperate spiritual problem. Maybe it's, maybe it's not a demon, but it's just as desperate as this man had. It's something we call sin. The Belgic Confession calls it your corrupt nature. It's a spiritual problem that has repercussions in the physical realm. Now, you might say, I don't really have a corrupt nature. I don't speed like Ben Gandy. I don't, I don't lie. I don't murder. I'm not a, I've never really stolen. I'm not a terrorist, and I'm, I'm definitely not like Hitler. And I praise God that you are not like Hitler. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that it's not how you measure up to other people that matters. The gospel says what matters is how you measure up in the eyes of God. And it says that since God is completely good and completely righteous, we will never at all be good enough. That's what we mean by sin. And because of that sin, that corrupt nature, we deserve death and punishment. We deserve to be cut, cut, cast away from God and all that's good. And, and even that demon-possessed man would have known a little bit of that separation from society. We deserve death and hell. You and I, we deserve that. And you know what that, if the Bible were to end there, if that is all that this story had, you know what that would be like? I, I think of it this way in one of our favorite stories, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
Lindsay and I love that. And uh, there's this part in the line in the witch in the wardrobe where Susan and Lucy, they're hiding in the bushes because Aslan has just been slain. The white witch has, has, is, and her army is getting ready to go to war to destroy, to destroy all the good and the humans. And they've just killed Aslan. So the white witch and her army go off and they go off to, to destroy all that's wonderful and good in the humans. And Susan and Lucy, they sneak out of the bushes and they, they uh, pull off the muzzle and they undo the ropes of Aslan. And then it's a, it's a sad moment. And then C.S. Lewis, the writer, writes this. I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing is ever going to happen again. It's like a a hopelessness. Susan and Lucy felt an utter hopelessness. And if that story ended there, it wouldn't be a happy story. It would end in utter hell with a white witch winning and all that. But she doesn't. She doesn't win. C.S. Lewis turns the story and provides hope. Aslan, of course, does not stay dead. There's good news. But, friends, the same is true of the Bible, too. The good news of the Bible is that just as Jesus did something about the spiritual problem of the demon-possessed man, so has he done something about our desperate spiritual problem too. The story doesn't end just here. You see, Jesus goes out into the whole region and then eventually ends up in Jerusalem where he finally dies on a cross to take care of that desperate spiritual problem. And it, 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 don't, don't you see Don't you see, instead of being thrown down like the demon-possessed man, we are lifted up. And Jesus, he's the one, he's harmed. And then he's thrown down for our sake, descended into hell. And on the third day, the third day he rose again. By the authority, by God's divine authority, he's the one who rose again. And that is the gospel, Ivan Rest. That's the good news that Jesus of Nazareth has enough authority to rescue from sin and death. Praise God. So, just in time's gone. But we've got to ask, what do we do? Is it enough to say, yes, awesome, I know the story, I know that it ends happily. Is that enough? No, it's not enough. And I'm going to speak to Christians and maybe Non-Christians, non-Christians too. Christians, brothers and sisters, look at the authority. Look at Jesus' authority. And once again, just be amazed. Be astounded. Read these words and let them open you up. Let the prayer of our hearts be, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? And then right at the end of our passage in verse 37, how news, news goes out. We, in the same way, Christians must show the world Jesus' authority by telling of what he's done for us. Why? Why must we do that? What does it say at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? What does Jesus say? All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Therefore, you and you and you and you and you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Share this authoritative word. 
speak of the gospel. Speak of it when you hang out for coffee at Starbucks or at uh, Lindsay and I love to order on the phone at Russ's. Speak of Jesus' authority when you post a letter at the post office, as you go to the bank, and all of life share the gospel. And non-Christians, if, uh, if you have felt even an ounce of how, of how welcome I have felt here, you are most welcome at Ivan Rest CRC. But I have to ask you, what, what is it that overwhelms you? What is it that astounds you? What message has real authority over your life? Is it, if you were truly as desperate as that demon-possessed man, would whatever you listen to, whatever message that is, would that free you? Would it heal you? I have good news even for you, non-Christian. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, has enough authority to rescue you and even change you and even and heal you. And I dearly invite you to stay with us, eat some cookies, have some coffee, and then ask any one of us, so who is this Jesus of Nazareth, and how can I know his good news in my life? For every person here who loves the Lord will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. He is the Holy One of God. He has redeemed my life from the pit and crowned me with glory and honor. And a thousand tongues will one day sing to God all glory, praise, and love be ever given. We who were far off have been brought near. The authority of Jesus is real. Praise the Lord, beloved. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, we come before you, people needing your word, needing the grace of Jesus, and we praise you for the wonderful authority we see in the gospel, the authority of Jesus to speak to our lives, the authority of Jesus to act in our lives, to heal us and bring restoration, and the ultimate authority of Jesus to, to take our desperate spiritual problem to the cross and deal with it there. May we cast our lives to him. May we just open our lives and say, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? And then may we drink deeply of the grace that is found only in Jesus and his wonderful authority. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, oh, dear Heavenly Father. We, we praise you and bless you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think our last song is O oh, for a Thousand Tongues, a wonderful hymn. Let's stand and sing. Amen.